Good morning. I'm sorry for those of you that thought Andrew was preaching today. You're going to have to wait on your pot roast a little longer once you get home than normal. For those of you that have been with us long enough, you know I'm a little shorter than Andrew usually is, and that's okay. All right, July 21st. Is it going to be good or bad? Good? Maybe not. Okay, how many days can I get out of these? Ah, maybe, maybe, maybe one more. Maybe one more. Uh, yeah, this too, eh? Oh no, that one's that's got to go in the laundry. All right, I'm too lazy this morning. I do not want to make a lunch. Uh, nothing green on top. Good to go. All right, sniff test. So we, we, uh, we all use it, we all do it. I've just shown you some things where you're checking stuff. Uh, a favorite sniff test, coffee. Do I want to buy this one? I'm not a tea drinker, Bev is. What's this one? Sorry, wrong side. Strawberry lemonade. Okay, I wonder if that's a good one or not. Right? Like we, we, oh, yeah, that one's pretty good. Is it good, Bev? Yeah, oh yeah, she says. Um, I got a candle when I quit my job. Quit my job. Yeah, I did quit my job, I guess. And I started a new job. So I'm 10 days in, just so you know. It's going well. But uh, smells not like your problem anymore. I wonder what that smells like. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a pretty good smell. I like that one. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is for the, those of you that are my age. Hugo Boss. How many did Hugo Boss? How many, how many even, know, even know what this is? It's called Cologne. All right. The sniff test. We do, we do, we do it with all kinds of things. Uh, we test things. We want to have uh, knowledge about things. I've been accused of having a sensitive palate. In, in reading in between the lines, that means I'm a picky eater. And so I often can come into the garage when I get home, and I can smell what's, what's, what's coming, right? You can smell supper drifting into your garage. I don't know how many of you can do that as well. <clears throat> and uh, so sometimes you get out and you sniff and you go, oh, I'm looking forward to this. And sometimes you sniff and you, oh, this will be different. I'm not complaining about anybody's cooking because it's not just, for, yeah, I do lots of it too. <clears throat> but often we want to sniff stuff out, we want to test it out, we want to find out whether something is good or not. And just like we do the sniff test on that milk that's a few days out, uh, or those socks, or that shirt, or that coffee, or whatever it is we're sniffing. People are also sniffing out our church. They want to find out whether we are good to try or to tempt, uh, whether we are tempting to them. So the question that I want to talk about a little bit today is, what kind of aroma are we giving out as Stony Brook Fellowship? Are they turned off because they see people who say one thing but do another when they get away from this place? Uh, There's a saying that says, your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear your words. Um, And we find ourselves in a world where actions uh, by people involved in the church have been splashed over newspapers, church leaders succumbing to whether it's personal judgment failures, financial failures, or moral failings. Uh, Those things are broadcast loudly and they create a smell. 
And it's easy for anyone that is reading these things to want to write off the church and have no interest in what we are about. And we also live uh, in skeptical times, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge to overcome some of those things. On the other side, we also want to think about not just the negative pieces, but what are we doing that's drawing people in? Through our honesty, through our integrity, through our care. Those are things that we want to do as well. And I want to spend some time in 1 Peter this morning. So if you want to turn with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to talk a little bit about how do we, uh, and what are some of the things that we can learn about uh, how to become a genuine church in a generation that is challenging and in a world that is challenging. And what's ironic, not ironic, I guess, is probably the wrong use of the word. Everybody says we use ironic wrong, incorrectly, which might be ironic, but... Uh, the point is that Peter is writing to a church that was, was, was trying to do the same thing uh, close to 2,000 years ago. And so even though we are in a different age and a different generation, some of the struggles that we face are the same. And so hopefully you can learn a few things as we walk through this passage. So let's read it together, First Peter 2, 11 and 12. And I'm sorry, I've got no audiovisual behind me. I'm a bad teacher today. I'm not giving you any, any secondary stuff. So let's start reading. Dear, uh, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so we're going to walk through this passage and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things and what is necessary for us to be able to pass the sniff test. So the first part of this passage emphasizes something that we don't often like to think about, and it's the fact of being a foreigner or an exile. And again, for those of us that have traveled a bit, you get a little bit more of a sense of that. You're in a country, you can't speak the language, you can't read the signs, and so you're trying to figure out how do you, how do you get what you want or how do you get to where you want to go or how do you order food or how do you even buy something. Uh, and again, you learn, you wave your hands around a lot. Uh, and usually they pick up what's going on. And so the, the reality for us is a little bit different because we're not really foreigners where we are. But for the people that Peter was writing to, that was a bit more real for them. The climate for Christians in the time that Peter was writing was really difficult. The, the, the church has entered into some of the most intense persecution that the church will be faced because we've got Emperor Nero at that time. And it's under Nero that Peter is actually martyred. So the writer of this book is, is killed by, by Nero. Uh, not directly, but yeah, you can look up the history. The climate is not friendly for them. They are breaking away from tradition and culture that have been established in the society that they are living in. And thus, those that choose to become Christians are now seen as outsiders. And so the challenge that Peter places before them is not just about their connection to their current culture, but this bigger idea that as Christians, our home is not here on earth. This is a temporary place that we are moving through to our permanent home in heaven. The hope of eternity is to be always in the front of our minds. And this is to be a significant part of our worldview. It should color everything we do and think. And I have to admit that I don't really like this idea because it's not an easy one to always adapt. I like Canada. I like where I live. I like the comforts I have. I definitely don't feel like an alien or a stranger here. But I understand the truth of this passage, but I find it hard to want to look beyond the things that I like and that I live in and the comforts I have. And then I look and reflect around me, and I do know that as I look at the church in different parts of the world, 
that they have a much better handle on this. Persecution and struggles seems to give a much better perspective on the idea of not belonging. It's a concern that we as the North American church have not really faced, as we have not faced tons of struggles. And my worry is that as we move on in history and as we move forward into the future, that when persecution comes, how will we stand up to it? In particular, as we have not distanced ourselves from our culture terribly far, what will we do when our comforts begin to be taken away and when our culture moves in a direction that is completely opposed to where we are as Christians? And I think we're starting to feel that more and more. Will this cause us to give up our faith? Will it cause us to water down our faith? Or will it cause us to dig in deeper and to be more solid and, 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 and more consistent and, and more committed to what we are? And so by living with the viewpoint of not belonging now, I believe we set ourselves up in a better position to deal with these challenges in the future. Here's a little bit of a, a, a quote from an author that I was reading, and he says this, As Christians, we need to think of ourselves as travelers who are just getting through this sinful world. We're not permanent residents, but pilgrims on a journey to a better land. Therefore, we need to travel light, not burdening ourselves with an undue attachment to the material things of life. The more we care for the luxuries and possessions of earth, the more difficult will be our journey to heaven. The story is told about some Christians who are are traveling in the Middle East. They heard about a wise and devout uh, old believer, and so they went out of their way to visit him. When they finally found him, they discovered that he was living in a simple hut. All he had inside was a rough cot, a chair, a table, and a battered stove for heating and cooking. The visitors were shocked to see how few possessions the man had, and one of them blurted out, Well, where's your furniture? The aged saint replied by gently asking, Where is yours? And the visitor sputtered a little and then responded, Why, at home, of course. I don't carry it with me. I'm traveling. So am I, the godly man responded. So am I. This man was practicing a basic principle of the Bible. Christians must center their affection on Christ, not on the things of this earth. Material riches lose their value when compared to the riches of glory. To keep this world's goods from becoming more important to us than obeying Christ, we need to ask ourselves, where is our furniture? So I thought that was a good perspective change, right? Where, where do we have, where is our home? Where are the things that we want to invest in? And so, again, to travel light is, is the message there, but again, to realize that we don't belong in this world. We are uh, a part of a kingdom that belongs in heaven. The next part of verse 11 states another reality for us as believers that we also don't like to uh, think about that much. Not only are we strangers and aliens, but we're also in a war. Now, this battle is different than what will maybe come to mind when we talk of war. We're not talking necessarily about physical battle, uh, and we usually think of it that way. But in this case, we're in a different kind of battle. The battle we face is one that is spiritual. We face a battle against the evil one as he corrupts and as he tempts. And on top of that, we also face the challenge of our own internal battles, our own temptations and our own struggles. And the battle against this is what Peter calls our sinful desires, or in the ESV, it translates it, the passions of the flesh. And because of Adam's fall and the sin, all humanity has been tainted. We, have, we are in what we call the fallen nature. We are all born with a desire to do the wrong thing. And this pull is undeniable in all of us. Paul talks about his struggle in Romans and sums it up a little bit in Romans 7.21, where he says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. When we're saved, 
when we accept Christ's salvation, we are made new. Again, the Holy Spirit comes, resides in us, and helps us in our struggle against sin. But our sinful nature has not yet been cleaned up. We are still fallen human beings. It's only when we're going to receive our new bodies in heaven that we will not have that pull and that struggle. So as Peter talks about this challenge uh, and the challenge that we have to do battle against it, we need to make sure that we are putting into action uh, some kind of a battle plan. We need to be able to realize that we're not just naturally going to be overcome things because our sinful nature twists our desires and it twists the things that are good. There are things that are life that are our natural uh, desires that are very healthy and good, but when sin enters in, it twists it and it turns it and it makes it move into a direction that is, is, is a problem because it moves things into excess. A quick example here is like a fire. A fire in a fireplace is great. It's in there, it's heating, it's doing what it's supposed to do. But as soon as that fire gets out of the fireplace, that's when we have problems. And so too our, our, our desires have that as well. We, we have a lot of things that when we talk of addiction, it's started out with some things that maybe aren't bad or evil, but they move and they begin to control. And these excesses hurt us, and we begin to be enslaved to them. And so we need to watch out for that. A while back, again, this is a long while back, and so I've remembered this, and I think my, some of my kids remember this, but I don't know. How many of you remember when John Newfelt spoke at church camp? It's a long time ago. A few of you might remember. And he gave us kind of three... Three things that I think I would like to say is sort of the battle plan that we can set up as we look at a battle against some of the things that we need to do as we look against temptations, as we look against the desires that are what we're, we're, we're drawn towards. His first phrase was, which dog are you feeding? What are you putting into your mind? What passions and desires are you feeding? What attitudes and thoughts are you allowing to simmer in your mind? So that was step one. You've got to be careful about what you take in and what you think about. Number two, he asked, who's driving your bus? If you're not in control of it, who is? When left alone, our human nature takes us down trails we wish we hadn't traveled. And so we've got to make sure that we're in the driver's seat of the bus. And then he talked about who's sitting on your throne. And that is, again, the best strategy in the end is to make sure that we have the Holy Spirit giving us directions as we drive our lives uh, in the directions that he wants us to go. If we hope to win on our own strength, We are misleading ourselves. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that our lives can be changed and that we can get the upper hand on this. Now, as we move on to verse 12, we find the benefit of the work of being strangers and warring against our sinful nature. It's so that we have a visible example to those around us. Our job as Christians is actually pretty simple in phrases, but more difficult in action. That's how a lot of it is. It's easy to say things. It's a whole lot harder to, to do them. Our job is to bring others to Christ, which is the Great Commission. Go out and share the gospel. And part of that is doing, living lives that are examples of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, of course, the Great Commandment. So we've got the Great Commission, and we've got the Great Commandment, which is loving God and loving our neighbors. And in Peter's time, the church was being accused of all sorts of things. The early church was falsely accused of rebellion against the government, uh, accusations of terrorism, atheism, cannibalism. Cannibalism was because of, of what they understood the Lord's Supper to be. Uh, immortality, uh, uh, sorry, immorality, not immortality, sorry. Immorality, and then damaging trade and social progress uh, and leading slaves into insurrection. So these are the things, 
the Christian church was being accused of. And so Peter's encouragement is that even though people are going to lie and slander about you, live in such a way that it's clear that their accusations are false. Live in such a way that will that in opposed in and in, in, in instead of wanting to accuse you of things, they're going to want to be drawn in to have what you have. This finally is how Peter defines whether we pass the sniff test or not. Are our lives of such integrity and consistency that those around us can tell what we are about? Are we living examples of caring and compassion that are drawing people in? And in seeing that, be drawn and interested about what is going in our lives and then in turn being drawn and, and interested in who Jesus is. William Barclay says it this way, whether we like it or not, Every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity by his life. He either commends it to others or makes them think less of it. The strongest missionary force in the world is a Christian life. So we've walked this to this point, and there may be some of you that are going, hmm, what exactly are you saying here, Emery? Are you talking about a faith based on works? And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that the things that we do save us. Nothing we do other than accepting salvation, saves us. No deeds earn us God's favor because grace is a gift that is undeserved and that is what we are living under. But when we receive that grace, we cannot continue to live the way we did before. Our works do not save us, but they do demonstrate who we are or better put, whose we are. So I'll say that again. Our works do not save us, but they do demonstrate who we are, or better put, whose we are. We are called to live holy lives, lives that do not follow the pattern of the world we live in. And through the centuries, of course, this has been interpreted in different ways. And I'm not going to say that it's been a simple conversation. Clothing choices, music choices, occupation choices, those are just a few of the things that have caused a lot of problems as we, the church, have tried to live out our faith. Our response to live differently needs to be driven not from a desire to earn favor or follow a set of rules, but from a desire to be more and more like Christ and to reflect the Holy Spirit who lives inside of each of us. And as we live under that grace, that also means we need to give those around us time and opportunity to grow. And so again, this is not about being judgmental, but it is again about thinking about how we live and how we are reflecting Christ in the way we live. And many times we hear, again, we can say, I can stand here and stop and say, do you know what? Live holy lives and I could sit down. But the question is, what does that mean? What does that look like? And how does that uh, get lived out in our everyday lives? And so each one of us, again, I'm not going to give you a set of rules today here, so you're going to be a little disappointed. Uh, Each of us needs to prayerfully consider what are the things, actions, attitudes, and even people that are keeping us from being, what godly, being godly examples to others. Each of us wa- needs to prayerfully consider what are the things that we should do to live out our faith as well as the things we should not do. It's a two-way street. The Bible contains lists, and you can go look at them as well. And what, some of them are things that we're not to do. Galatians 5.19, sexual immorality, idolatry, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness. That's one list. 2 Timothy 3, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. Kids take note of that one. Ungrateful. Those are things we're not to be. 
But then we also have lists of things we are to be. Galatians 5.22, which follows up the first one I just gave you, is the list now of the other, which I said already once, but I'll repeat. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Colossians 3.12, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These, again, are not meant to be a legal list, but they're lists that we want to work away from and towards. Those are, again, I think, goalposts that help us establish a direction that we're moving. I think a lot of times we live in a world where we're polarized, which means you're either here or you're here. And I think it would be much better for us to think of things more on a, on a, on a spectrum, that we're moving from here to here, and we're all in different places on that journey as we move along. And I think if we think of things in that way, instead of this and this, as opposed to being somewhere in the middle, I think that helps us to think about some of this stuff as well. The challenges of the early church are different than what we face today. But there's a lot of similarities. People are wanting to see that our faith is authentic and that it's actually changing our lives. And so I think I want to just summarize with kind of the two main ideas as, as, I, as I move to closing off. Firstly, we are to be waging a personal battle against sin. Secondly, we need to demonstrate this. So we've got the internal battle. And secondly, we need to demonstrate the outward changes that are going on in our lives. These two points, I think, are required for us as believers. Are we going to be perfect? Of course we're not. In a war, we win and lose the individual battles, but as we continue through our lives, we want to be winning more than we lose. So I encourage you to reflect where you are in your faith walk. Are you finding that you have something in your life that you just can't overcome? It may be time for you to sit down with someone and talk about it. That's what our church family is about, to allow us to help and equip each other to be able to overcome the challenges that we have in our lives. Whether that's having an accountability partner to break a long-held habit, or maybe it's seeking counseling for a more troubling issue. It may mean breaking off a relationship that continually pulls you in the wrong direction. And so maybe today, you're also maybe ready to that point to make that first decision, that first key decision to say, I want to surrender my life to God and ask Him to take charge of where I am going. Whatever the step you need to take, I encourage you to do it because we can't wait. Uh, the church, our, our church's reputation depends on it. We want to be something that people want to sniff and want to try. Each one of us has a smell, and together we make up the scent of Stony Brook. <laughs> I know, it's not the best example ever, but it's, I think it's true. It's so true. When people sniff us today, what do they decide? Are we worth trying out, finding out more about, or are we rejected, right? I know that all of us want to be that smell that attracts, and I know that. And so let's make sure we are washing our stinky socks so that they are clean and fresh. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Uh, we'll just pause to pray as they do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words we have in First Peter. Some of them are tough. Some of them are hard, and some of them are, require us to take uh, and evaluate where we are in our lives, where we are in our relationship with you, and how we are having that happen in our lives. But we, again, thank you for this church body, this church family, that we can journey this together, that we can help each other, we can encourage each other, and we can walk alongside each other. 
that we can rejoice with the exciting things that are happening and we can pray for the challenges that we have. And this morning, I pray that again, as we consider our, our own lives, that again, you'd give us an honest reflection through your Holy Spirit of where you want us to go and what you want us to be like. And we know again that you, through your Holy Spirit, give us that power to be able to accomplish and to overcome anything that stands in our way. And Lord, our, our desire and our mission is to draw others to you. And so may we be faithful in doing that. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.